Welcome back, everyone, to the Covenant series. Now, one of the most important covenants that God ever made with man is the one that we are about to study this morning. It is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, before we begin, let's just bow and have a word of prayer. Father, I ask that this morning you once again open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. I pray that, Lord, as we study this powerful covenant that you made with Abraham, all of our hearts will once again be inspired to recognize that we serve a covenant-keeping God, a God whose words are yes and amen, and you will always keep your promises to your people. So we commit this time of study to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional covenant where God binds himself to actually bless mankind through a man called Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham. Now, after the covenant that God made with Noah, which we studied last week, mankind restarted. And as time went on, the sons of Noah began to spread across the earth. And then the problem began. In Genesis 11, verse 4, we were told, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. What did mankind want to do? Genesis chapter 11 informs us that they wanted to build a tower, which we later know as the Tower of Babel. But for what? It is so that they can reach to the heavens. Now, the need to reach out to the divine is God-given. But the problem was that they wanted to make this happen through their own self-effort. And in the end, it was just to make a name for themselves. In short, man wanted to become his own God. So God stepped in and scattered them across the earth and stopped their ambition dead in his tracks. From Genesis chapter 11, verse 10 onwards, we were then given a genealogy of Shem, the son of Noah. And that was when we were introduced to the man called Abram. Now, in the midst of the genealogy that was outlined for us from Genesis 11, verse 10 onwards, the amongst the so-and-so begets so-and-so, so-and-so begets so-and-so, we read this very sad line about Abram's wife, Sarai, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 30, where it tells us, now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, God is about to step in. God is about to choose a man who will model for the rest of mankind what it means to walk with God. And the man that he chose was Abram. So God then appeared to Abram and declared in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, which is where we find the Abrahamic covenant. Let me read it for you. The Lord that said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In this covenantal promise, there are three key elements that are involved. Number one, God will bless Abraham and his descendants. Number two, God will give them a promised land. And number three, God will bless all peoples through Abraham. 
Therefore, we see that we have a, that, that, that these are the three key elements that are inside. It is an unconditional covenant where God committed himself to do all this independent of Abraham. How do we know this? It's because God gave Abraham the covenantal promise in Genesis 12 verse 1 to 3 and then he cut a blood covenant with him in Genesis 15 in order to seal this covenant. Now, let's examine what happened in Genesis 15. By the time we get to Genesis 15, many years have gone by, but Abraham had not possessed a single piece of the land that God had promised him in Genesis 12. And on top of that, he was still childless. So Abraham was beginning to really doubt and he was ready to settle for the cultural norm of that day, which is this, that the chief servant will actually inherit the estate if the master is childless. But I want you to know that God is about to step in. And God declared in Genesis 15 verse 4, This man, which is referring to Abraham's chief servant, Eliezer, he says, This man, God said, will not be your heir, but the son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. In other words, God is saying, Abraham, don't settle. What I say, I will do. What I promise, I will deliver. Don't settle, but wait for what I said to come to pass. But, and God took Abraham, after he said that, he took Abraham outside of his tent and then asked him to look up at the sky and count the stars if he can count them. And God is then said to him, so shall your offsprings be. What was God doing? God was literally painting a new vision of faith into Abraham's heart. That was for the promise of a son that a nation will come out of Abraham. And then the Lord reminded him of the land that God said he will give to Abraham. And Abraham actually went on to ask in Genesis 15:9, Sovereign God, what can I know? How, do, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And that was when God actually asked for an animal sacrifice. He cut the animal into two halves and then arranged them opposite each other. While Abraham was asleep, God walked through those pieces and committed himself to keep the covenant he made with Abraham. This was recorded for us in Genesis 15 verses 17 to 21. Let me read it for you. When the sun had set and darkness has fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Canaanites, Camonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephites, Amorites, Canaanites, Gigasites, and the Jebusites. And throughout the making of this covenant, you notice, God was the one who did everything, but Abraham was literally sleeping. God alone walked through the pieces of the animal sacrifice and committed himself to keep the terms of the covenant. In other words, this was an unconditional covenant. And later on in Genesis 17 verses 9 to 14, God then gave Abraham the sign of the covenant, which is what? Circumcision. See, this was the only thing that Abraham must do in order for his descendants to be in this covenant. As someone once said, 
the Jews literally carry the guarantee of the Abrahamic blessing in their pens. It is through circumcision. That's the sign of the covenant. Okay, now let's examine the three elements in the Abrahamic covenant one at a time and see how God has been faithful in keeping His covenant with Abraham right up to today. Number one is this. God will bless Abraham and his descendants. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. The Lord said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. Now, did God fulfill his, his promise to Abraham to make him great? Absolutely. The Jews, the Muslims, the Christians, they all revere Abraham. God was pleased to be called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see, when you think about it, most of the ancient peoples in the Bible are no longer around, but the Jews have been preserved right up to today. Why? God has preserved them because of the covenant that He made with Abraham. Even though the Jewish people were scattered across the nations because of their sins throughout history, God brought them back as a nation in, in, in 1948 in fulfillment of His promise. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, our God is a covenant-keeping God. And 650,000 Jews actually went back to Israel in 1948. And today, there are, there are 6.4 million Jews living in Israel. How many of you know that this is actually a modern-day miracle? How could something like this even happen? A nation that has been scattered all across the earth could actually come back and become a nation again. How did this happen? I'll tell you how. During World War I, the Holy Land was actually under British rule. And even though the Allied forces were winning, the British forces were running out of gunpowder at one point in that battle. So Winston Churchill at that time, the, the, the Prime Minister of, of England, actually approached a brilliant Jewish scientist by the name of Chiam Weissman. And what Weissman did was he produced 30,000 tons of synthetic acetone, which was later used for producing the much-needed gunpowder for, for the war. And when the British government asked Weissman how he would like to be rewarded, this Jewish man had only one thing to say. He said this, There is only one thing I want. It's not money, it's not land, it's not houses. There's only one thing I want, he said, a national homeland for my people. And this resulted in the Balfour Declaration in 1917, which basically announced that the, the British government's support in principle of a proposed home for the Jewish people in Palestine. And the rest is history. The whole world witnessed how in 1948, God miraculously returned Israel back to the Jews. Friends, our God is a covenant-keeping God and He kept His covenant with Abraham. Isaiah 66 verse 8, the prophet prophesied, Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such thing? Can a nation, can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Do you know that in 1948, 650,000 Israelites cast a vote 
and an independent nation of Israel was birthed in one day, fulfilling Isaiah 66. I believe that all this happened because our covenant-keeping God is fulfilling His promise to Abraham and He will make him a great nation and make His name great. Do you know that the Jews made up 1% of the world population, but the influence and the wealth they control is incredible. Let me read a list of uh, companies and corporations that are owned by the Jewish people. Goldman Sachs, Rothschild, Dell, Intel, Google, eBay, Calvin Klein, Ralph Lauren, Estee Lauder, Baskin Robbins, Ben & Jerry's, Hagen Dust, Starbucks, Levi Jeans, 20th Century Fox, DreamWorks, CBS, MGM, Universal Studio, Paramount Pictures, Warner Brothers, New York Times, Washington Times, Bloomberg, George Soros, Albert Einstein, Steven Spielberg, and on and on the list goes. All Jewish. Although they made up less than 1% of the world population, between 1901 and 1950, the Jews won 14% of all the Nobel Prizes awarded for literature and science. Between 1951 and 2000, the Jews won 32% of the Nobel Prizes for medicine, 32% for physics, 39% for economics, 29% for science. How many of you know it is totally out of proportion? God promised Abraham, I will make your descendants great. And God literally blessed Abraham's descendants with wealth and intellect beyond the normal. Why? Because he is a covenant-keeping God. And I want you to know it was not based on their own merits. Because Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 tell us this, The Lord did not set His affection on you, He's saying to the Jewish people, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that He brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. It was not because Israel is always good. In fact, she was a stubborn and rebellious people. Now, why is this a huge deal? If our God is a covenant-keeping God, then I want you to know you and I have eternal security. We know that we know what God promised He will do. And when God declared to you, when God declared to me that our sins are forgiven, then we know we are forgiven. When He says He will save us, we are saved. When He proclaimed that we are free, we are free indeed. If God keep His promise to Abraham, God will also keep His promises to His church. So number one, God will bless Abraham and his descendants. Here's number two, God will give them a promised land. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, The Lord has said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, this land that is referred here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it is not metaphoric, but it was literally referring to a specific piece of real estate in the Middle East. Okay, we know because God defined that piece of real estate for them. Genesis 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. So God defined the boundaries. 
Genesis 17, verse 8, he said, The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Centuries after Abraham died, the children of Israel took possession of the land under Joshua's leadership. But because of sin, the Israelites were scattered again all over the nations. But I want you to know, God promised in Amos chapter 9, verse 14, I will bring back my exiled people Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they will make gardens and eat their fruit. Now, has that happened? Absolutely. Because back in history, we see that whenever Israel sin and they get scattered across the nation, God will bring them back when they repent. Okay, and this keeps happening, but in modern history, it happened again. And there was a pivotal moment in 1948. God fulfilled His word by bringing them back to Israel in 1948. And then in 1967, in the Six-Day War, the Jews not only regained, uh, not only returned to the Promised Land, but they also regained the city of Jerusalem miraculously. What happened in 1967 was this. With Russian help, the Arab nations actually came against Israel in 1967. Again, the, the Israelites were greatly outnumbered, but they did something unthought of. They literally decided to do a preemptive attack. And against all odds, they overran the enemies in 80 hours. They destroyed 400 Arab planes and gained complete control of the air war from every direction. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that we serve a covenant-keeping God. And by the end of the Six-Day War, instead of losing ground, the Jewish people extended their territory from 8,000 to 26,000 square miles, including regaining the old city of Jerusalem. And today, the Jews are back in their promised land. God has returned the land to His people, and now the people are returning to the land. Do you know since 1948, the Israelites scattered across the world started to go back to Israel from more than 140 nations. And because they are coming from, from so many diverse nations, more than a hundred languages were imported into the Holy Land. And the interesting thing was this, Hebrew has not been used as a spoken language in everyday use for about 1,700 years due to the dispersion. And But a miracle happened. A man by the name of Eliezer ben Yehuda started working on the Hebrew language. And for 41 years, he worked to recover the Hebrew language. When he started the project, nobody could understand why he would even do that. But in 1948, it was Hebrew was finally declared as the official language of the reborn state of Israel, thus unifying the nation of diverse people so that they can speak one language again. And this fulfilled what the today's living translation of Zephaniah 3.9 says, On that day, I will purify the lips of all people so that everyone will be able to worship the Lord together. And today, the people of Israel are able to worship together with one language. The Jewish return to Israel started as a small trickle, but when Israel was reborn in 1948, it became a stream and then a river 
since the 1960s. And today, this second exodus have reached flood levels with Jews coming from the north and the south, fulfilling Isaiah 43, verse 5 and 6. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east, gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. To the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and make. Do you know that in May 1991, in an operation that is nicknamed Operation Solomon, 14,400 Ethiopian Jews were airlifted from Ethiopia to Israel, all in 30 hours. There was a transporting of 14,400 people in 30 hours. And three babies were literally born during these 30 hours of traveling. And it fulfilled what the prophet said in Jeremiah 31, verse 8. See, I will bring them from the land of the north, gather them from the ends of the earth. Amongst them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. Hallelujah. God is fulfilling His promise and He's bringing His people back to the land. After September 11, the Jews from North America started to return to Israel. Even terrorism became a tool in the hands of a covenant-keeping God. And I want you to know that this time, they will be planted firmly in the land and will never be uprooted again. How do I know? Because this covenant-keeping God promised them in Amos 9.15, I will plant Israel in their own land and never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. I want friends, I just want you, I tell you all these things for one purpose. It's so that you could see for yourself that we serve a God who keeps promises with His people. That is our whole point of understanding the covenants. It's so that we know we serve a covenant-keeping God. God has been faithful to Abraham and He will be faithful to us. See, and this is where it brings us to the third point. God will bless all peoples through Abraham. Genesis 12 verse 3 ends with this, I will bless those who bless you, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The Jews are the chosen people of God, and God will keep His promises to them. There's no doubt about that. However, that does not mean that everything the Jewish people do is right. In fact, I think some of the actions that the Jewish people took against the Arabs in the Middle East, they are questionable. And therefore, I'm not advocating a blind allegiance to support Israel for everything just based on Genesis 12. But having said that, I want us to understand that we owe the Jews a debt. Why? Because they preserve the Word of God for the rest of the world. The Bible that you and I read every day is a result of the Jews. This book, the Bible, is a Jewish book. 39 out of the 40 authors in the Bible are Jewish people. We serve a Jewish Messiah. See, our Lord Jesus himself is a Jew. You know, Winston Churchill in the 1920s said this, we owe to the Jews a system of ethics which even if we were entirely separated from the supernatural would be incomparably the most precious possession of mankind. 
worth, in fact, the fruits of all wisdom and learning put together. My friends, this Abrahamic promise finds its final fulfillment, actually, in the new covenant, when through Jesus, we who are Gentiles, non-Jews, we are grafted into the olive tree and we become a part of the vine. How do we know this? Romans chapter 11, verse 17 to 18. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in, that's referring to us, amongst the others, now share in nourishing sap from the olive root. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. Because if you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. What's he saying? He's saying that the promise given to Abraham was for God's chosen people. But God, by His grace, have now chosen to take all of us Gentiles who are wild olive shoot, grafted us into the, the vine, grafted us into Israel. And because of this, now it is the root, referring to God's chosen people, the Israelites, who support us and not the other way around. And therefore, we should never look down on the Jews, but we should, in fact, be thankful to them because it is true Abraham that all of us today are being, are, are being blessed. How are we grafted into the people of God? How did we end up having the ability to be grafted into the olive vine? It is by grace through faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 to 9. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So how did Abraham actually get right with God? It was by faith. And then understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we see here that it was through faith in God that Abraham was considered righteous. So today, if we share the faith of Abraham, we are the children of Abraham. And if we share the faith of Abraham, we also share in his blessings. It is because of Abraham that we are now being blessed. Through Abraham, all nations of the earth, and that includes you and me, are being blessed. The sign of the Abrahamic covenant, I told you earlier, is circumcision. The sign of the new covenant that we have in the New Testament is water baptism. And Paul, the apostle, actually linked this two for us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. In him, referring to Jesus, you were also circumcised with a circumcised not performed by human hands. Your whole self, root by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism. You see, baptism is equivalent to circumcision in the Old Testament, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. The blessings of Abraham is now ours. You see, we can now drink from the wells of salvation. Now all nations can be saved. Truly, through Abraham, the nations have been blessed. God has kept his covenant with Abraham. Let me end with this. We serve a covenant-keeping God. 
Even when Israel was faithless, God remains faithful. God has irrevocably linked himself to Israel. They will be his people. He will be their God. Whatever Israel may do, God cannot walk away from the covenant he made with them. And that is why no, no nation has been more blessed or more cursed than the Jews. Despite the fact that so many have tried to get rid of the Jews, they survive right up to today. They are living proof of the reality of God. King Louis of France actually once asked Pascal, the philosopher, give me one proof of the existence of God. Pascal replied, Your Majesty, the Jews. The Jewish people is a signpost that points us to a covenant-keeping God. God kept faith with Abraham and his people, and he will keep faith with his church. What does all this mean for the church today? I think God's ultimate goal in the Abrahamic covenant is that Abraham and his descendants will be blessed. That's the top line. But what for? It is so that true Abraham, true Israel, the nations of the world will be blessed. That is the bottom line. We are blessed to be a blessing. If we miss this, then we miss the plot. And this is the challenge I want to leave with you, church. Our covenant-keeping God, who has demonstrated through Israel that He is faithful to His people. Today, you and I have partaken of the blessings of Abraham by faith. We must also seek to be a blessing to the nations. This means that we are not just reaching out from where we are and trying to draw people in so that they can be blessed, but we must also be going out to where the people are to be a blessing to them. And I think this is what it really means to go missioner. Now, all of us want the lost to come to us, but we are actually called to go to the lost. It is true that if we have loving hospitality in the church, if we have great preaching, vibrant worship, powerful moves of God, we can draw a crowd to church. But chances are we will be drawing the saved rather than those who are far from God. So what's my point? My point is this. No matter how strong our churches may be, nothing replaces the Lord's command for the church to go to the lost. Why? Because we are blessed to be a blessing. And the truth is, the lost may never come to our great churches. So, brothers and sisters, get ready to get your butts off the pew and into the field. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that's why we must grow deeper and we must go missioner. Get to know this God who keeps covenant with us. And then let's go out and be a blessing. Amen. Let's bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I ask this morning that you again open our eyes to see the truth that you have recorded for us through the years. We have seen your faithfulness to your people Israel. And this is a sign to us that you will be faithful to your church. Thank you that by, by your grace, we have been grafted into the olive branch by faith and because we share in the faith of Abraham we will also share in his blessing and because we share in his blessing we will also seek to be a blessing to the people 
of the earth. And so, Lord Jesus, come and may you bring this truth into our hearts and make us men and women who will live lives that are missional. We want to know you as our covenant-keeping God. And then we want to go missional so that this world will know that there is a covenant-keeping God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.